0: Well, good evening again, but also at any rate, thanks for coming out tonight, and just trust the Lord will bless our time together in His Word. Uh, Tonight, what we're going to do is try to bring to a conclusion the things we've been talking about uh, for the last five lessons, and uh, this probably is the most important of all the lessons. Because the topic tonight is simply grace. Grace. How important is grace? Well, we know it's important for salvation, for it's only by God's grace that we're saved. It has nothing to do with anything that we merit or anything. We know that. And I just want to remind you of the things that we've been talking about now for five lessons. I reminded you this morning, we're going to remind you again tonight, but I want you to keep the word grace in mind as we look at these again. If you recall in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, we were told there, and this of course is the Spirit of God speaking to us through Paul in this prayer. And as we mentioned, all these prayers is really the Spirit of God's prayer for us. And the first thing that he says that he desires of us is that our love may abound more and more in knowledge and discernment. That's what the Lord expects and wants in our life. In Colossians 1 9 through 12, we learn that the Spirit of God is emphasizing that his desires that we have spiritual insight in knowing God's will in our walk with Him. It's imperative we walk in the will of God in and through Christ Jesus. That's God's desire. In Ephesians chapter one and chapter three, the Spirit is praying for spiritual illumination, enabling us to experience Christ's power And the fullness of God himself in our lives. Then we also talked about lordship. We know the word of God is very clear. That Jesus Christ is to be lord in our lives. That means we recognize his position as lord. We also recognize his ownership of us as Lord, and we recognize his rule over us as Lord. And then this morning we start talking about service, and we spent quite a bit of time just dealing with the idea of service in various ways and forms, but the bottom line was the Word of God makes it very clear that we are expected to serve our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We also learned that he has gifted us, every one of us, to serve our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And then we ended by saying, the only thing that is left is, are you willing to serve your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Now those are all marvelous truths, not that I've given you, right from God's Word. This is what God desires in our lives. Now what are the chances of that happening? You can't hear me, Brother Sam, as loud as I am. Are these things ever really going to happen in our lives? Well, only by God's grace are they going to happen in our lives. You can't do any of these things. I mean, you know about them now. We've spent five lessons telling you what the Lord would have us do and what his desire is in our life. But the bottom line is there's not one thing that I can do myself to bring any of those things to pass. It's only by the grace of God that these things will come to pass. So I think you're getting the message already that tonight's lesson is going to be related to God's grace in relationship to the things that he wants us to do in our lives and all these things we've been talking about. There's many different uh, definitions of grace, and I've used many over the years. Um, I came across one by a gentleman by the name of J.F. Strombeck in his book, Discipline by Grace. It's interesting, this, this man is not a theologian uh, or, uh, or anything of a heavily taught Bible student, a dear godly man. But his definition of grace just really kind of spoke to me. And it goes this way. Grace is the... And you have to listen carefully because it's it's stated in ways that I wouldn't normally (laughs) verbalize things. But grace is the ultimate abounding provision of the unrestrained operation of God's infinite love through Jesus Christ on behalf of mankind especially those who depend upon Him. Now let me share it again, because that's the first time you've heard it. Grace is the ultimate abounding provision of the unrestrained operation of God's infinite love through Jesus Christ on behalf of mankind, especially those who depend upon it. End of quote. Do you truly depend upon the grace of God in your life? And that's the question we want to deal with tonight. You know, Scripture proclaims, and the Lord Jesus Christ revealed many marvelous truths concerning the nature of God. And of course, we know that Jesus Christ is God. And this, let me remind you a few things about the greatness and the marvelous truths about the nature of our God. In Exodus 13, 11, it says, O Lord, who is like unto thee glorious in holiness? You have to start with the holiness of God. Everything centers around the holiness of God. And as we think about the things that we've been studying and looking at, they all reflect the holiness of God. And if these things are going to abound in your life, you have to understand the nature and the gloriousness of the holiness of your God. In John chapter 4, verses 8 and 16, it says simply, God is love. Now, we know that. But do we really understand and appreciate the depth of that tremendous truth? Speaking of Jesus Christ, Ephesians 19, the love of Christ passes all knowledge and understanding. Now, why is it important we're emphasizing these marvelous truths about God and the Lord Jesus Christ? Because these are things that are supposed to be evident in our lives as his children. Ephesians 2.4, God is rich in mercy. Oh, I'm thankful for that. Peter goes on and says, he's abundant in mercy. In John 1:14 we read that he is full and complete in grace and truth. Full of grace, full of truth. God is the God of all grace. He's the God of all truth. And therefore everything that we have shared to you have from scripture is truth. It's God's truth. He is truth. Now, you see, all of these marvelous attributes of God, God's nature, cannot be separated. You know, they always are at work together. And, you know, God's love, God's mercy, God's grace, God's truth stem from his holiness. Holiness is the key. Do you understand how holy your God is? You know, we think we do, but if we truly understood it, our lives would be so much different if we truly understand just how holy he is. You know, grace, you know, is a marvelous thing, and it relates to the source of God's unmerited gifts. We're aware of that. But mercy relates to the state of those who receive them. I'm so thankful for God's gifts, his grace, they're unmerited. I don't deserve them. But on the other hand, I have to have God's mercy. (laughs) You know, I need to receive that every day. I'm so thankful he's merciful towards me. And because you go a little bit further, mercy is great because of my need. And grace is great because of the person who meets my need. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, our great holy God and Savior, is a driving force behind everything. And this is the point we're going to emphasize tonight all these things that we know that the Lord wants in our lives that we've been sharing now for five lessons, there's only one way it's going to happen when we understand that he and he alone is the driving force that can bring it to pass. There's nothing we can do in ourselves. We must rely upon him, his grace extended to us not just in saving our soul. Oh, praise God for that. But once He saves my soul, now what? Well, I'm instructed how to live, but I can't d- live that way without God's grace any more than I could be saved without God's grace. So, we're going to emphasize tonight the whole idea of God's grace in relationship to the service that we talked about this morning now God, grace is a great provision of god's love as we mentioned in romans 8:32 he that spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all how shall he not with him also freely give us all things see all of the things that we've been talking about for five lessons we can have, but only through the grace of God. You'll never have it apart from the grace of God. You know, grace is the operation of God's love, and God's love is expressed by his grace. We all know that grace is unmerited in Romans eleven six, And since by grace... Then it is of no more of works. Now, of course, we realize in talking about that, we're talking about our salvation or justification. And, and And it talks back about Abraham even. Everything has to be by grace. There is no other way that God's merit can be spread abroad in our hearts. And the thing we have to understand is, apart from the atoning death of the Lord Jesus Christ, God cannot deal with fallen mankind by grace. Did you get that? You understand that? Apart from the atoning death of Christ, God cannot deal with us in grace. Because you see, he's glorious in holiness. Grace comes only through Jesus Christ. Apart from him, there is no grace. In Romans 4:16, as we mentioned, it is of faith that it might be by grace. Faith in Jesus Christ is the condition for the grace of God to operate on behalf of mankind. So just to put this in perspective before we look at a few different passages, grace then is God's provision to bring into being our salvation, to sustain it, to perfect it, to be what he wants his new creation to be, that's in Christ Jesus. See, we're saved by grace, we're sustained by grace, someday we'll be perfected all by God's grace. Now you may say, well, you're starting to sound a little redundant about grace. You can't be redundant about grace. Grace is something that comes from God through Jesus Christ, and we need it constantly, not just for salvation. Well, that's where it begins in and through Christ Jesus in your life. But if we're going to live in a manner pleasing to the Lord and serve Him the way we should, it's only going to be by the grace of God. Don't for one minute think you can do it in your own strength, your own power, your own will, your own might. It's all of God's grace. And that's what we want to emphasize here as we conclude this little series. Now, the first thing I want you to do is is turn to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. We're going to look at a few verses here. Keep it in mind the emphasis that I've tried to make right at the very beginning as to where we're headed here tonight, and that is to emphasize again, if we're going to be what the Lord wants us to be, it's only by His grace that that's going to happen. Now in Titus chapter 2, verse, starting with verse 11, it says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us, That denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works. Now, somebody has said that these verses contain one of the most neglected truths in God's word. (laughs) Neglected truth. Oh, it's there. We see it and we do understand it to a degree by the grace of God as he's revealed it to us. But the problem is, we neglect it. Now, just take a look at those verses again. I'm not going to read the whole thing again, but it starts right out, For the grace of God that brings salvation also teaches us many other things. And I'll list many things there. And, of course, these are things that are only possible by the grace of God in our lives. You know, this passage summarizes the subjects of grace related to Christian conduct. And you know, it's very simple what he points out we are to deny, refuse ungodliness, worldly lust. How good are you at doing that? Seriously, how good are you at doing that? Well, if you're like I am, you're terrible. You see, we in ourselves cannot deny, refuse ungodliness and worldly lust. That sinful nature is still here. And yet by the grace of God you can. God's grace can enable you to do that. We're to live godly, soberly, which means humbly or simply. And I think of simplicity that's in Christ and righteously. Well, again, I ask you. Can you really live godly? Can you live righteously? No. You can't. But by the grace of God, you can. You see, it's God's grace that enables us to do these things. Then he goes on and points out, We are to live in view of the glorious appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the word view, we hear that quite often. You know, we should live in view of the Lord's return. Well, I think a better rendering is we should live in expectation of the Lord's return. You know, I as we drive out west, we can view the mountains off in the distance. And we'll say, ah, there's the first one. See it way out there? Having no concept of how big it is. And even as you get closer, you still just view it. But, you know, we like mountains not to view. We like to climb in them. Be in them. We're looking forward and expecting that time when we can get into the mountain and climb it. You know, I'm not just to, to live in view of the Lord's return. See, that's a far-off idea. That's not going to challenge me to do anything. I am to live in expectation of it. I'm expecting it any moment at any time. And when you're really doing that, you see, the question is, can you do that? Can you really live in expectation of the Lord's return like you're supposed to. No, you can't. But who can enable you to do that? God, through his grace, can enable you to live every day in expectation of his return. You know, Christians do do an awful lot of talking about, oh, wouldn't it be wonderful if the Lord came today? But we don't really believe he's going to come today. If we're honest, we know he could. We we have a view of that. But you know, if you lived in expectation of that truth, all the things that we've been talking about for five lessons, and even what we're talking about tonight, can become realities in your life by the grace of God. You see, he who has begun a good work in you, he will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. You're not going to be able to perform it. You have to rely upon the grace of God to do that. Now, as we move on here, the truth that God's grace that begins salvation also teaches those who are saved how to live in a manner that is pleasing unto him. We all know that. The truth that God, the grace of God that brings salvation. Everyone here knows that you were saved by God's grace alone. But you see, why is this called in the neglected text? Well, because you see, this grace also teaches those who are saved how to live in a manner pleasing to the Lord. You know, among those who accept grace as the only means of salvation, exclusive from any works or merit on the part of man, and we do, if you're here as a born again believer, it's only because you understand. You don't merit salvation, it's only by God's grace that you're saved. All right? But, you know, there is a neglect, an emphasis on the fact that the spiritual life can only be sustained, developed, and brought to maturity by the operation of that same grace. And that's where we neglect what we have just read. I can understand the person who said, this is probably one of the most neglected passages in Scripture. Oh, well, we know it, but we neglect it. We rejoice in God's saving grace. But we don't think an awful lot about his sustaining grace. That which develop us, develops us and brings us along to be more mature and grow in the things of God. What did Peter tell us to do? Grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. How much have you grown in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Since he came into your life. In Galatians 3.3. 3, Paul points out. Having begun in the spirit. Do you really think now. You're going to be made per- perfect. In the flesh. <laughs> you know we understand. We have to be saved by grace. Well now that I'm a, a born again believer. And I'm to walk and live for the Lord. As we've been seeing. And what his desires are for us. You really think we're going to do that in the flesh? No way. The flesh is the flesh. It opposes God in every way and form. I have to rely and depend upon God and his grace and his mercy and everything about him. If I'm going to live a life that's going to be pleasing unto him, he must do it in and through my life or it's just not going to be done. It's his power and his might. You know, Paul understood this, for in Philippians 1.6, he says, He who begun a good work in me, he will perform it. Did you get that? He will perform it. He began the good work when he came into your life. For the first time in your life, we are brought into harmony with God and now have the capability of being in his presence. That's where it began. But you see, it's not just to take you home to glory. He's going to finish that work, and yes, eventually we will be in glory. But for a while, we're here. We don't know how long. But you know, he's the one who's going to finish it. You're not going to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ by yourself. He's not going to be able to bring you to maturity in the things of God by yourself. He has to do it. You know, in, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 to 17, we won't take time to turn to those at, at this moment, but it, it tells us that God gives us grace for our service, which we talked about this morning. And grace to enjoy the blessed hope that is ours in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we talk about the blessed hope we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, you can really only enjoy that truth by God's grace. He's the one who enables you to enjoy this blessed hope that you have in him. You know, how wonderful to know that the same grace which set his son to the cross and brought salvation also disciplines and perfects the life which was born of God. I'm so thankful for the grace of God, not just to save me, but to keep me, to help me mature and grow and become more like him. Another passage I just want you to look at for a moment is John 1, John chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 14 through 17. John chapter 1. The Spirit of God revealed this to John. In verse 14, which we all know, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. That would be his moral glory. Once again, his holiness. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, this was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace, or grace upon grace. Continuous tense. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. He never stops bestowing it. It's a marvelous thing to understand. Grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, with those verses before us, I just want to emphasize this phrase, grace upon grace. (laughs) Present continuous tense. What does that mean? It goes on and on and on. And on. There's no end to the grace of God. And how thankful we can be for that because it is so necessary. See, it is not only important to know the meaning of grace, it is equally necessary to realize the extent to which grace enters into the believer's life. How important is the grace of God in your life? Now, I'm not talking about your salvation, though. Yeah, you know, we understand that's all of God's grace. The question here I'm bringing before you is, do you understand the degree or the extent to which God's grace enters into the believer's life? You know, most of us probably really don't, including yours truly. How many times I find myself seeking to do things in my own power, knowing before I even do them, I can't do them in myself. And I know I should be depending upon God's power in everything that I do. You know, many think of grace as merely as a means by which, as I said, God saves our sins. But you have to understand that he deals with those who receive Christ as Savior and Lord in every aspect of our lives. And that's so important for us to understand. The grace of God delivers us from the power of sin. Did you understand that? Romans 6, 14 tells us that. And you know, we know that when the Lord Jesus Christ died and rose again, that he claimed victory over sin, death, the grave, the evil one, self, and all these things. We also realize that we sin no longer has dominion over us. And yet, if you leave it to yourself, you will find What? Sin still has an awful lot of dominion over you. It's only by the grace of God that sin no longer has dominion over you. In 2 Thessalonians 2, 16-17, we read there that God's grace gives us service, ability to serve him. And also his grace enables us to enjoy the blessed hope that we have in him. It makes us appreciate in Jude 24, his grace will keep us from stumbling. Do you ever stumble in your spiritual life? It's amazing how many times we stumble. Well, why do we stumble? Because we're dependent upon self and not God's grace to help us to keep moving forward. God's grace is so important to us. You see, truly grace is the unmerited abounding provision of the unrestrained operation of God's infinite love through Jesus Christ on behalf of mankind, especially those who belong to and depend upon him, enabling them to live in a life pleasing unto himself. Now there's one last passage I want to just look at before we Get to a little summary, and that's the one we started with this morning. As you go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. <clears throat> and God is able to make all grace abound towards who? towards you all grace that you always having all sufficiency now who has all sufficiency those who have god's grace abounding towards them that's where your sufficiency lies may have an abundance for every good work now we're not talking just about works again in service tonight we're talking about all of the things that we've been focusing on for the three times we've been together. and We did give you the quote from Andrew Murray. We're not going to do that again, but his basic quote, in essence, was that abounding grace has been given to us so we can abound in service for the Lord. Abounding grace has been given to us so we can live godly in Christ Jesus as his grace abounds in us. You see, God's abounding grace has been given to us that we can live holy, righteously, in a sinful world. All of these things are possible through God's grace and grace alone. His grace is abounding. And it is often thought that grace and works are at odds with each other. But, of course, this is really not the case. Now, we do understand that the Scripture tells us that the works of the law and our own works and the works of righteousness which we have done in dead works and works by which we seek to meet God's favor, yeah, these works indeed are the very opposite of grace. We understand that. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Titus 3, 5. We're saved by God's mercy and God's grace. However, these works are the very opposite of the good works which spring from the grace of God. We can abound in pleasing the Lord. We can abound in serving the Lord in whatever capacity he calls us if we abound in the grace of God and not in ourselves. See, the measure of true grace is tested and proved by the measure of works abounding or these things being evident in our lives. Now, in Romans chapter 6, verse 12, or chapter 12, verse 6, Paul called upon Christians to exercise their spiritual gifts. And we talked about gifts this morning. We're all gifted to serve. But you see, he called upon them to exercise their spiritual gifts. How? According to the grace that was given them we all have a gift maybe more there's only one way the lord can use it is if you let his grace abound in the use of those gifts so here we learn the secret and and all failure and success work in our own strength with little prayer and waiting upon the lord for his spirit is the cause of failure. Did you get that? (laughs) Working our own strength with little prayer and waiting upon the Lord is going to lead to failure. You know, I experienced that in in ministry. It's, It's difficult to prepare for ministry. It really is. It takes time and effort, but you know the greatest thing that is needed is depending upon the Lord to lead and guide and direct in ministry, whatever it is. If you try to do it in your own strength, it's not worth anything. It just isn't. You may think it is, but it isn't. You see, when we learn to yield all we do to God's grace, we will see the results of God's grace in our ministry and our service and our growth in the things of the Lord. Well, may we truly understand the blessed truth of 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound in us. And it's vitally necessary that we understand that. That we can and must trust his power and his faithfulness. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 24, we read, Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. You know, the the Lord never calls upon you to do anything without his enabling you to do it. Never be afraid of what the Lord may ask you to do because if you are willing to do it, he will do it through you. And that's the lesson we really have to understand. Any ministry that I give or anybody else gives, is only as effective as as the Lord is working through me to his honor and glory to speak to your hearts. Anytime you are blessed by ministry or whatever, don't thank the preacher. Don't thank the preacher. The preacher has nothing to do with anything that you really received a blessing from. It comes from the Lord working through his instrument speaking to your heart that is open to his working in your heart now again what's the emphasis here tonight it's the grace of god how you need it in your life not just for salvation yes that's where it begins salvation by grace through faith in the person and the atoning work of the lord jesus christ period but that's the beginning Now we are to walk and to grow and mature and be used of the Lord. And how are we going to do that? By the same grace that saved us. It's the same grace that he will use in our lives. Now I just want to take a minute to just list a couple of practical applications. You see, in what areas and ways are we to allow God's grace to abound in our personal walk with the Lord and in the church, the body of Christ. And all I can do here is quote scripture. I, I have nothing to, t- to say to you, but scripture has much to say to you. So ways and areas allowing God's grace to abound in your own personal life. Philippians 2.13, let God work in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. 1 Peter 5.6, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Ephesians 6:10 Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And of course the rest of the verses tell you how you do that. You clothe yourself in the whole armor of God so you can resist the wiles of the evil one. Ephesians 5:18 Let the Holy Spirit control your life, allowing him to produce the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Present your bodies a living sacrifice unto God, holy and acceptable. Do not be conformed to this silly world, but be transformed by the renew of your mind to his good and acceptable and perfect will in your life. Live out God's desires for your life as revealed in, the, in, the, in the Paul's prison prayers, which we looked at in three lessons. Go back to those three prayers And see what God's desire is for your life. And then let the grace of God perform those things in your life. Above all, always remember, never forget, all of the above are only possible through God's grace abounding in and through you. Quickly and lastly, well, how can we allow God's grace to abound in the church, the body of Christ? And we're talking about the local body. Psalm 133.1, even though it's an Old Testament passage, has some New Testament verification to it. It says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. That's God's will. I'll tell you right now, you will not fellowship together in unity in your own strength. You will be at each other's throats before long. It's only by God's grace you can fellowship in unity depend upon the grace of God to do that 2 Corinthians 13:11 be of one mind live in peace and the god of peace shall be with you Titus 3:9 avoid foolish controversies for they are unprofitable and worthless but what's one of the biggest problems in the local churches they don't heed god's word we don't avoid foolish controversies. We thrive on them. And what does it do? It causes division and strife amongst the Lord's people. We gotta stop doing that. Can you do that in your own strength? No. Self will want to have control in its way. It's only by God's grace that you will avoid those things. Acts 4, 24, 42. Continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, and the breaking of bread and prayer. Jude 3b, contend earnestly. Defend the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. It's amazing how the word of God is being compromised in the church, the body of Christ today. Don't let it happen, but it will, unless the grace of God is in control of the lives. Galatians 5.13, by love serve one another. Colossians 5 or 3.24 tells us why. Because we serve the Lord Christ. Do you understand? We serve the Lord Christ. That's why we are to serve and love one another. You see, always remember, never forget. All of the above are only possible through God's grace abounding in. And through you. Well, again, it sounds like somewhat of a redundant message tonight, and I hope it has been to one extent. You've got the message God's grace is necessary for salvation, for sanctification, to glorify Him, to move forward in your own spiritual life, to move forward as a body of Christ. You can't do any of those things in your own strength as much as you want to. Allow God's grace to be the controlling factor in your life. We'll close with a little benediction, 2 Corinthians 13, 14. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Well, I trust that these few lessons that we've had have challenged your heart, also encouraged your heart to really put the Lord Jesus Christ in control of every aspect of your life. Everything he asks you to do, impossible in the flesh, but very possible in his power and his might in your life. May it be so. Shall we pray? Our gracious God and heavenly Father, We truly do thank you and praise you again for the greatness of our God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are reminded from your word how wonderful and powerful and great and almighty you are. We've been reminded of your marvelous attributes and your nature. We know that that nature has been imparted to us. But shamefully, we often neglect that divine power that's been imparted to us. We have everything within us to live godly in Christ Jesus. We have everything that's necessary to escape the corruption that is in this world through lust. We have everything within us in the Lord Jesus Christ to help us to live in a manner that's pleasing unto thee, to serve thee, to worship thee, to be those types of Children of yours that are pleasing in their walk with Thee. O oh Lord, just help us to apply these truths in our hearts and lives and rejoice again that You are in our lives, that we belong to You, that You belong to us, and that It's Your desire for us to grow and be nurtured and strengthened by Your power and Your might. May it be so in our lives. Part us now with Your blessing. We just commit this assembly to your care and keeping, just working through their hearts and lives to your name's honor and glory until we meet again. We ask these things and give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.